Amen. All right, we'll have the children dismissed to the children's church. The rest of us, let's take our Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. And I do need you to pray along with me this morning that I could uh, bring forth the message that the Lord has laid upon my heart. It's one that uh, we do really need to think about and and uh, I just want to make sure that I communicate that uh, honestly and clearly. And uh, we, we live in a world where uh, the uh, things are constantly thrown out as absolute truth that are not. Uh, I don't know if you've heard the newest one from uh, our dearly beloved... Uh, uh, congressperson from Jackson Heights, but uh, in 12 years, there will be no living person left in Miami, uh, according to her understanding of climate change. And we praise God she's not in charge of anything uh, but herself. But uh, what a, how, how would you live thinking that uh, several millions of people are all going to be drowned and killed in the next few years over something that... Uh, is not going to happen, but it is believed as an absolute truth. And should you stand up and actually raise a voice saying that this entire climate change thing is a cult and a hoax, it takes more faith to believe that man has power to change the climate than it does to believe that Jesus died to pay the price for your sins. I want to challenge you. Uh, uh, and... Uh, I, I, if I'm going to exercise faith anywhere, it is going to be in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, the, and we are told that if we do not believe, if we do not behave in a certain way, I was uh, uh, met with another local pastor, Brother Richard Johnson. Some of you remember him, but very early on in 1990. Uh, four ninety-five. Uh, Brother Johnson actually worked with our church for a little over two years, and uh, he was saying, "I can't believe it." He said, "There were riots in Brooklyn this week, near riots. Nobody got killed, praise the Lord." You know what it was about? They opened a Chick Fil A in Brooklyn. And he said, the protesters are out there screaming. The police were called in to control the crowds. And, of course, the best part is the line for people trying to get chicken sandwiches was all the way around the block. So next time Brother Johnson and I get together for lunch, we're going to Chick-fil-A. It's not too far from where he is. And, uh, and here's the reason to protest, if you're not up on all that, is the owner of the restaurant chain is a Christian and has expressed uh, expressed that they do not believe in a redefinition of marriage. And by the way, they close all their restaurants on Sundays. Still, uh, they are actually, I believe, the number one fast food chain in the United States today. Uh, so if you have the opportunity, when I travel, uh, I try to take advantage of the opportunity to get a chicken sandwich and say, yes, uh, I'm not against these people. Amen? And by the way, it, it's good food too. Uh, so just 
we, we look at the level of insanity in our society today. And as I was reading through my Bible, uh, I came across this passage, and our theme is, uh, let me just come down here so I make sure I get it right. All right, so uh, let's look right here. Except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Here's our other verse. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. I mean, there are few things more wonderful in this world than a dear child. Uh, someone who is trying to be obedient. I remember growing up, my, my father... Uh, it, it was just such a wonder to be his son when I was obedient. Uh, when I wasn't obedient, it was not fun. In fact, it was, uh, uh, my father never abused me. It just felt like it at times. Because I needed it. That's one of our great problems is we have no discipline. In our society today. And to be a dear child. Could you imagine. God the Father. Putting his arm around you. Saying well done. Thou good and faithful servant. I mean. What more could you ask out of life. Than that. That God would recognize that you followed him as a, an obedient child. You see, in Matthew, I mean Luke, it's also found in Matthew, but our passage that we're going to look at this morning is in Luke. And let's just start reading verse 31. Jesus is speaking here. And the Lord said, Whereunto shall I liken the men of this generation? And to what are they like? They are like unto children sitting in the marketplace, and calling one to another, and saying, We have piped unto you, and ye have not danced. We have mourned unto you, and ye have not wept. For John the Baptist came neither eating nor drinking wine, and ye say, He hath the devil. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. And ye say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. But wisdom is justified of all her children. But wisdom is justified of all her children. This morning, I'd like to preach about childish men or childish adults. I mean, to have a childlike heart, as the Bible says, is a good thing. But how many of you have ever met a childish adult? How many of you ever had to work with a childish adult? Oh, my. That is frustrating, to say the least. Uh... Don't raise your hand on this one. How many of you have been childish adults? Uh, all of us at different times. Uh, 
Uh, and as we look here, Jesus is saying, how am I going to help you understand about yourselves? He says, well, let me, let me give you something you understand. He said, the children in the marketplace. He said, you're just like the little boys and girls that play in the market. And uh, we look here and let's get a hold of this. Uh, you can go to the Museum of the City of New York. And uh, it's, I think it's a hundred and something or other on the east side of the park. And uh, one of the biggest collections in that museum are toys that children played with in New York. And uh, I, I would like to challenge you that the most important thing in a child's life to the child, and we're talking about to the child, is play. It, isn't, it, isn't it a tragic thing where children are raised in this world and they're not allowed to enjoy any play? They, they have nothing left. They're, they're hardly getting food to eat. They're in terrible situations. But one of the things that is understandable about a, uh, one of the characteristics of a healthy child is they like to play. In fact, that's the most important thing in a child's life. It's not school. Now, school you're going to use. Uh, I remember um, we were working on something there in the basement, and uh, uh, Joey and uh, Jason said, Can I help? I said, Sure. Uh, get me a paper and a pencil. Now, we have uh, uh, so many inches and we need to divide that up into five places and we need to subtract the thickness of the two-by-fours that are going in as the dividers and then divide the rest. Dad, this is like school. Hey, this is why you go to school so you can learn to use those things in the real world. That's important. But from the child's perspective, hey, this is going to be fun. We're going to get to do different things. And, and maybe Dad will let me pull the trigger on the nail gun. And, and, and uh, uh, maybe I can have some fun here and, and learn some new things. And, but play is... And here's what Jesus is telling these religious leaders. You're still like little children. The most important thing in your life is playing games. Now, if that isn't today's headlines, I don't know what is. I can't listen to the news without getting a report on all the games that are being played in New York City area and across the world. I mean, uh, frankly, I, I am not... Uh, a, a real sports enthusiast anymore. I, I just uh, I got tired when all the salaries started going over a million bucks. It just oh, come on, come on, let's let's do something real. But it there's something wrong with an adult who the most important thing in their life are games. 
But you go out to any of our parks on a Sunday afternoon, and what's everybody doing? Playing games. You go home, playing games. Entertainment. You check into a hotel, and they tell you about all the entertainment system and all the, uh, the games that you can get on your television in your hotel room. You know, it's a wonderful thing for a child to have enough innocence about all of the crazy going on in the world to be able to enjoy a game. We want that for children. The problem is we have many adults who think life is a game. How many of you have seen the bumper sticker, who dies with the most toys wins? I mean, it's, it's everywhere. And Jesus is, is telling these religious leaders, you're like little children playing games in the marketplace. Now, let's, let's take a moment and just think about that. Why, why would that be a problem? Well, here's the issue. What was the marketplace about? Well, that's where commerce happened. The fishermen, the apostles were fishermen. They would bring their fish to the marketplace. Those that raised uh, crops and agriculture, the farmers, the, the ones that had vineyards, they would bring all of their stuff here to the marketplace. And the farmers who were raising the grain would be able to get fish and grape juice and the products of, uh, uh, of the vineyard. And the uh, vineyard owner would be able to get the fish and the other things. And, and everybody would be able to live comfortably. I, I want to tell you the primary purpose of the marketplace was so that people could get food and things that they need to live. Right? But what was the primary reason the children went to the marketplace? Because there'd be other children there and they'd be able to play games. You see, you go to the park and my kids have done this on many occasions, the little playground around the corner here and First question is, are the basketball courts going to be open? Because if somebody gets there before you, then they have the right to tell you what game is going to be played. Isn't that the way it works? Well, that's what was going on in the marketplace. This is why Jesus said that, he said, you're like children in the marketplace. Uh, uh, Let me get to the right passage here. Um, We have piped unto you and ye have not danced says, we were here first. And so we, we offered to let you play with us in our game. So we got out our little flutes and started playing a little tune, and you wouldn't dance. So we figured, ah, you don't want to play wedding, you don't want to play holiday, so, so we'll start mourning and we can play funeral. And it says, we mourned unto you, and you, did. you don't want to play any of our games any our way. I'm going to take my ball and go home. I mean, that's what goes on in the playground, right? That's what was going on. Not in the marketplace. But in the lives of these religious leaders that Jesus was speaking to. Isn't that terrifying? 
It goes on in buildings all over New York City. Every time they hold a service, people are there to play games. Do you know what one of the primary reasons people attend certain churches in the city are? Networking. If you are trying to get into Broadway acting, there's a certain church where all of the actors and some of the directors and uh, and they go, and different different churches have a have a uh, uh, reputation for different things. And you can go to these churches, and you can play the game. If you are part of the alphabet community, they have several churches that are just right there to cater to everything that that is there, and that's what it's all about. And uh, I want to tell you. The stakes are too high to play games. We only have one thing we're trying to do. Put forth the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Trying to encourage childish adults to stop playing games and get serious to get some understanding about serving the Lord. I mean, we meet people. I met a preacher years ago, and he just sat me down at the table, and he said, now, Pete, I want to help you. Normally, when somebody tells me that, I know there's one thing I'm not going to get. That's help. He says, you need to understand. He said, evangelism is marketing. That's all you're doing is you're marketing. And if you will, uh, you got to lay down these old-fashioned ideas and you got to start marketing Jesus and you'll build a great church. And I'm going, I can't believe I'm hearing this. You're going to take the timeless truths of God's Word, the infinite power of the Creator God in becoming a man and dwelling among us, and reduce it to a marketing strategy? You know what that sounds like to me? We piped unto you and you did not dance. We mourned unto you and you did. It sounds like a game to me. We, we have a lot of people who their entire life is nothing more than a game. It's just, am I going to make the next move before you make the next move? I mean... Chess is just a game, really is. But there have been lives and fortunes lost on games. Of course, what's uh, Las Vegas all about? The gaming capital of the world, right? Well, unless you're from Europe, then it's some place over there, the big casinos. Listen. The religious leader said, listen, we're here first, and you're not playing our game. Now, who were they talking about? Well, the context gives us the application of Jesus' story. Let's uh, go back here to uh, uh, verse 19 of chapter 7. It says, And John, calling unto him two of his disciples, sent them, unto, sent them to Jesus, saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? Now, John was having a tough time. 
He had been in the wilderness alone, just him and God, until he was about 30 years old. Then he started his public ministry. And in a space of six months, it says, all Jerusalem went out to hear John. I mean, he was out there in the wilderness where nobody lived, eating grasshoppers and wild honey. Uh, John never invited anybody over to dinner, and nobody ever accepted an invitation if he did. I mean, that was just John. He was the wild man from the wilderness. He was Elijah, as we would say, from the Old Testament. He was the fulfillment of all the Bible prophecies. And he points to Jesus and says, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And most of his disciples stopped following him and started following Jesus. And he said, he must, I must decrease and he must increase. John had it all, and then he got stuck in jail. And he was just stuck there, doing nothing. And by the way, if people didn't bring you food when you were in jail, you just starved to death in jail. They didn't feed you. And so John's disciples were trying to take care of him. They cared about John. And, and of course, they heard the reports that uh, the multitudes were going to Jesus and hearing Jesus. But Jesus wasn't becoming the Messiah. He, he wasn't taking away anybody's sins. He wasn't doing these things and. And John was just sitting there rotting in prison and he, uh, months and months and trying to figure out what was going on here. And so even he, that great prophet, the Bible tells us, had some questions. And he sent two of his disciples to Jesus. And Jesus did many miracles before them and taught and told them to go back and tell John what you've seen. And I just love the patience of Jesus Christ, don't you? Here was his only rebuke. Verse 23, And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. said, John, don't stop believing in me. Even though you don't understand what's going on, you already know the truth. Just hold to it. Boy, that, that's some of the best advice you can have in this life. This book is truth. Hold on to it. You know what? Sometimes it doesn't make sense to be obedient to the Bible in this crazy world in which we live. But if you're not going to be drawn into the games of the world, the only way you're going to do that is holding on to the truths of the Bible. Amen? The only way you're going to be kept out of that foolishness is by being obedient to the things of the Bible. And so, what we have here is John sending his disciples, and then verse 24, And when the messengers of John were departed, he began to speak unto the people concerning John. And Jesus taught them, and he says, uh, But what went ye out for to see? Verse 26. A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and much more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. For I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. 
But he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And all the people that heard him and the publicans justified God being baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves being not baptized of him. Now, here's the context for Jesus' comparison, part of it. He said, there were people out there that were willing to believe John and be baptized of him and prepare their hearts for the coming Messiah. And I I just feel compelled, I hope you don't mind hearing this again, understand that John's baptism is the baptism of the New Testament. The disciples that were baptized by John were not re-baptized by Jesus. They had the proper authority. Their perspective was looking forward. Today, our perspective is looking back. And the baptism that we do in our church is under the authority of the Word of God. We do exactly what John did. You have to be saved. Then you have to be baptized. Then you become a member and you follow the Lord and serve in the church. It's just just that simple. It doesn't need to be complicated. And it said the people that were baptized were John. They justified God. They said, God, you did great in sending John. We're thankful to John. He has drawn our attention to Jesus. That's a good thing. But the religious crowd, Jesus said, you're just like the kids in the market. You're playing your games. You're piping your pipes, only John's not going to dance to your tune. He's not going to cry when you say cry. He's not going to play your games. He's not going to be a part of your religion because you weren't here first. You do not have the right to tell God how people should worship Him. Only God has that right. Amen? You see... John had a purpose. Jesus ended that little story by saying, but wisdom is justified of all her children. He said, wisdom is justified by... um, Let me read it again here, I'm sorry. Wisdom is justified of all her children. He says, you can look at John, you can see his life, and you can see the wisdom of God. Jesus was also saying, you can look at my life and see how I have lived, and you can see the wisdom of God. Uh, the Pharisees re- and the religious leaders really had no excuse. All they had to do was pick up their Bible. Of course, they only had the Old Testament, yes, But you read the last verses of the Old Testament. Remember ye the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse." Did it take a big stretch of the imagination to look at the ministry of John the Baptist and how he lived and what was about him and not see 
the characteristics of the Old Testament prophet Elijah. I want to challenge you, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. Elijah was the wild man, he wore a leather girdle. John dressed the same as Elijah dressed. Uh, Elijah lived in the wilderness. Most of his ministry, he had disappeared off of the face of the earth. You remember, Ahab had sent to every country surrounding Israel trying to find Elijah, and he couldn't find him. Where was he? In the widow's house at Zarephath for part of the time. Uh, in the, by the brook Cherith for part of the time. He was hidden. And here we have John the Baptist. I mean, you can, you can match up the Bible perfectly and see. And what was John the Baptist's message? It was simply, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. I'll tell you what, that'll get the heart headed in the right direction now, won't it? John was the, it didn't take, and Jesus said, listen, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this thing out. Wisdom is justified of all her children. You can see the wisdom and the words of God in the life of John. And by the way, Jesus had just finished healing people. He had just finished teaching. And he's saying, can you not see and hear the wisdom and the power of God by just looking at me? Amen? And then... We're going to have this entire truth illustrated so absolutely crystal clear by just following along in our text. Look with me at verse 36. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. Now this is pretty interesting. This is, we're now no longer, Jesus had just finished this story condemning the Pharisees, and this Pharisee says, I'd like to eat lunch with you. Now, we know that many times through the Scriptures, these Pharisees had ulterior motives in inviting Jesus uh, to their home. They were trying to entrap him, trying to catch him in something that they could accuse him. Uh, We don't know if there was that really going on, but... Uh, In a few moments, some circumstances are going to develop where it almost appears that this Pharisee has that hiding in his heart that he's willing to reach out some hope for. Of course, no one ever entrapped or tricked Jesus. The other thing was just plain curiosity. Why are you so different than we are? Why, Why is your teaching doesn't agree with us? Why are you so against us? We... We teach the same Bible. I mean, how often do you hear some people, oh, we all believe in the same God. And if somebody give me a chance to talk, I want to say, uh, if you were really honest, that statement's not true. We don't believe in the same God. The God of the Bible is different than the God of the religious games that are being played all over this world. But circumstances developed here. In verse 37. And behold, a woman in the city which was a sinner. Now, when you see that title, sinner, 
Most of the time it's connected with publicans and sinners. Now, what you have to understand is these were Jewish people because this was a Jewish land. And and so when the Pharisees, they were called the Jews, capital J-E-W-S, because they set the standard of what being Jewish is and what being Jewish isn't. Uh, They were the most religious. They were the most righteous. They were the most of everything. But when someone took the title or was given the title sinner, that meant they were a Jewish person that didn't care a bit about the Ten Commandments, about synagogue, about the Word of God, about Jewish society as a whole. They were Jewish people who lived as Gentiles. Now, that's what this woman was. See, the Romans didn't have a big problem with divorce. The woman at the well, she'd have fit in well with Roman culture. Four or five husbands, huh? living with one, you're not married, that's fine, not a problem. You haven't broken any laws. This, this was the world, and by the way, the same way today, This woman was known in her city for being absolutely unconcerned with one bit of truth that was in God's Word. I'll tell you, that's not a place you want to be. But look what she did. When she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, And stood at his feet behind him weeping. And began to wash his feet with tears. And did wipe them with the hairs of her head. And kissed his feet. And anointed them with ointment. Now that is some strange behavior, is it not? Can I ask you a rhetorical question here? I will answer it in just a moment. What is the number one item that we need to approach God. As a human being, there is one overriding thing that we must have or we're never going to get anywhere near God. How about humility? God resisted the proud but giveth grace to the humble. If you come to God trying to tell God how good you are, is he going to accept you? Didn't work for Cain very well, now did it? God does not want us to bring our best to him. He wants us to humble ourselves in his presence. Now, let me ask you a question. Could this woman have done any other acts in behavior to humble herself more in the presence of Jesus Christ. Uh, I, I want to tell you, I don't know any way, anything that she could have possibly done, anything that would have been within the scope of her ability. She came prepared. She brought an alabaster box of ointment. Now, don't confuse this with what Mary, the sister of Lazarus, did on Um, Saturday night before Jesus rode the donkey through the gate of Jerusalem. These are two separate events. They're separated by time and place and all of these things. 
This woman brought a very costly box of ointment. Very similar to what Mary did. But she stood at Jesus' feet weeping. Now, we know by reading the rest of the story why she was weeping. Look at verse 50, the last verse of the chapter. And he said to the woman, thy faith has saved thee, go in peace. Do you know why the woman was weeping? Because she was a sinner. And Jesus was the answer. That's why she was weeping. She brought the most valuable thing that she possessed. They tell us the box that Mary broke upon Jesus' head in the, uh, the feast at Simon's house before the triumphal entry into Jerusalem was 300 pence. That's over a year's wages in their economy. Tell you what, I dare say none of us have a year's wages just sitting around in the bank that we don't know what to do with. This woman had this very valuable object here. And before she put that ointment on his feet, she washed the dust off of his feet with her tears. I'll tell you what, this is not hyperbole. Uh, it's not exaggeration. But I, I, I want to tell you, that's a lot of tears. This didn't happen uh, in a Hollywood on cue. Cry! <laughs> okay, camera's off. Okay, fine. I, that's, that's games. Everything here is games versus truth. Now, part of me wonders if this Pharisee, when he saw this sinner come into his house, ah, finally an opportunity to catch Jesus condoning sin. Maybe we'll get him. I don't know. Bible doesn't tell us. That's the direction my mind heads in. But she came into a place where her very presence was despised. I mean, even the servants that were serving the dinner were looking at her like, what are you doing in here? This is the house of a Pharisee. You have no right to be in here. Can I go back to that phrase? Wisdom is justified by all her children. Do you think this woman was expressing wisdom here? in humbling herself and bringing herself as a sinner. She didn't go clean up her life and come to Jesus first. She just came as she was. And she was broken because of her sin. And she said, I have everything that is about me I'm going to give you. And she pours it out on his feet. And in a moment, her entire life savings, every valuable thing she probably possessed was gone. But can I ask you a question? Is Jesus worth everything we have? Is not faith in Him more valuable 
than anything we could hold in our hands. And this woman found faith in Jesus Christ by humbling herself, embarrassing herself. The Pharisees stood with stood there thinking in his own heart and mind, if Jesus were really a prophet, he'd know what kind of woman this is, and he wouldn't accept her. And then Jesus, while she is washing his feet with her tears and drying them with the hair of her head and then pouring this ointment on his feet, while these things are happening, Jesus in verse 40, And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he said, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors, verse 41, chapter 7. The one owed him 500 pence. Now, that would be 500 days wages, an incredible amount, two years' salary easily. The other, 50, close to two months' salary. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore... Which of them will love him the most? Now, Jesus just made up a story here, a parable. He said a man had two creditors, two debtors. 500 pence is an incredible amount. We would try to put that in monetary funds today, somewhere between $100,000 and $200,000. I mean, you're not going to pay that off tomorrow. You're not going to pull your wallet out and take care of that. The other was 50 pence, 50 days wages. 10, maybe $20,000, whatever uh, whatever your wages are. $1,000 a week, you're looking at, uh, you know, uh, five or $6,000 here. That's a lot of money. And he said he forgave them both. Now, which one's going to love the, the, the creditor? Which one's going to love the banker the most? And uh, Simon, the Pharisee, looks at him and says, Well, I suppose... Let's, let's look right here. It says, uh, Simon, verse 30, 43, verse 43. Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most... Jesus speaks up and says, Thou hast rightly judged. He said, You got that one right, Simon. Now, that really wasn't that hard to figure out, was it? That's in the original languages. Uh, The sarcasm there. And the reason I say that is, let's read what else Jesus had to say here. And he turned to the woman who was there the whole time he's telling this story. Seest thou this woman? He's, now he's calling Simon's attention to her. I entered into thy house, thou gavest me no water for my feet. Now, wait a minute, these were the Pharisees. They were the ones that had all the regulations about washing When you came in from the market and all of that, I'm sure that they washed their hands. Otherwise, because the Pharisees found fault with the disciples for not washing their hands. But 
He didn't even offer him the common courtesy of washing his feet. He brought him in. That, that tells us this guy had some ulterior motives. He did not respect Jesus as he would a normal guest in his house. It says, but she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Talking about debasing yourself and humbling yourself. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil didst thou not anoint. Thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within himself, who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said unto the woman, thy faith has saved thee, go in peace. Can I challenge you? What greater illustration do we have? Here we have the Pharisee playing the game. Jesus, why don't you come over to eat with me? Let's see if we can find some common ground. Let's, let's, let's see if we can't agree here. Jesus had just told him, you're playing games, I'm not playing games. While he's sitting at house, in the Pharisee's house, this woman comes up who is a known sinner and humbles herself in the sight of God, in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, and offers literally everything that she would have and know, her reputation, her life, her most valued possession, all at the feet of Jesus. Sounds like a very good illustration of what happens in the heart of a person who gets saved, does it not? And the Pharisee is sitting there going, what? If he really knew who she was and what she was about, actually he did know who she was and what she was about. He knew what she was before she walked in that house and he knew that she was seeking the forgiveness of her many sins that had given her a testimony in the community as one who cared nothing for the Bible or anything for her Jewish heritage whatsoever. But now she was seeking the Messiah of the Jews. And she found him. Two applications, basically, for today's message. One is, where, where do we find ourselves in this series of events? Many of us this morning, I'd say the majority of people here have professed faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Are, are we kind of like John the Baptist sitting on the edge and going, is this really real? Well, Jesus assured John, it's really real. Amen. And that he just needed to continue on in the faith and it wouldn't be long before someone would come down there and John was executed at the words of Herod and, and he was in the presence of the Lord. God took care of John. 
we, we live in a world. Uh, I remember when uh, Mr. Brown came out with the book, The Da Vinci Code, and I actually had some people who were members of our church come, Pastor, are you going to preach about that? And uh, my answer was simply this. If, if, if someone's foolish enough to read Mr. Brown's book and actually believe the things that are in there, I, I can't help them. They're, they're past help. Uh, this is non-topical. We, we have all of the scholars running around criticizing our Bible and trying to tell us that all the churches are true churches and that, uh, uh, that everything, we're all serving great God and, you know, and the Calvinists say that only the elector saved, but nobody knows who they are and the Protestants say everybody's going to be saved and the Catholics say only the Catholics are going to be saved and everybody are, what are they doing? There's children in the marketplace. And they're asking you to play their game. You know, that's where Jehovah's Witnesses come in, isn't it? Uh, and Islam and all these other religions. Uh, if you're going to play their game, all you got to do is dance to their tune and cry to their music when you're told to. And be happy when you're supposed to be happy. I remember one fellow telling me, he says, we were, um, um, he said we were uh, non-observant Jews. And so there's a time when you're supposed to fast. But before you start to fast, you have this big feast. So we had the big feast, and then we didn't fast either. Uh, he said, we just ate all the time. And, and uh, sounds like a game to me, doesn't it? And we must understand something. This woman did not come to Jesus in the Pharisee's house to answer the Pharisee's question. She came to answer Jesus' questions. Don't get caught up in trying to answer the world's questions. This global warming thing is just a game. Just a little tune they're playing. A few years ago, when I was in school, it was global cooling. We're all going to freeze today. Uh... The next thing they're going to come out with, uh, how many of you remember when coffee was going to give you cancer? And, and now, coffee's going to keep you from getting cancer. Uh, listen. If you find yourself dancing to the tune of the world, well, I've got to pay my bills, I've got to do this, I've got to, wait, wait a minute. This woman who was a sinner had only one thing on her mind. Humbling herself in the presence of Jesus Christ and following Him. You know, we call this our worship service. How does worship work? Well, the word worship means to bow down or to kneel. In uh, many of the new Bibles, uh, they take out the word worship and just put the word bow or kneel. Um, But when the Bible uses that word, it's talking about surrender of my will and my person to the Lord Jesus Christ, to the God of the Bible. That's worship. 
I like to picture it in my mind as trying to get a hold of, trying to grapple with the greatness of God. Uh, I've had the opportunity in my life to carry, help carry many very heavy things. And uh, I'll tell you what happens is you begin to actually pick that thing up off of whatever it's resting on and the weight of whatever you're carrying, it begins to be transferred to your body. You can feel the compression going on. Especially if it's really, really heavy. Sometimes you'll get that numb, weird feeling in your hips and your lower back. And you better be aware of something. You're lifting something that's above your ability to be lifting. But sometimes you don't have a choice. But you know what? When I try to grapple with the greatness of God, what happens? I transfer a little bit of that weight of His glory. And it presses me down. And you know what? That's a good thing. Is it not? Because we're not playing games anymore. What's happening is I'm getting past myself so that I can pay attention to God in the way that He would have me pay attention to Him. Amen? We have this story. And I want to ask you a question. Are you a childish adult? Or have you allowed your need and the greatness of our Savior to eclipse all else so that you could go in the very house of the Pharisee who despised you and led others to despise you to kneel at the feet of Jesus and ask Him to help us to save Him. Save us. Let's pray.